Justin Wright Foreman. How now, brown cow? No Luca, no Kristaps. Anybody else I'm missing? Jarrell Brantley. Donovan Questionable. Unique New York. Dorian Finney-Smith playing? Oh, he's not. Rajon Tucker. Do we know when the Spurs game is? It's to be determined. Tip of the tongue. Mie Oni. Mie Oni made marshmallow muffins. Mie Oni made marshmallow muffins. Mie Oni made marshmallow muffins. Okay, I'm ready. Two more games, and we're into the playoffs, which we'll set up with TNT's Stephanie Reddy, who is on the sideline for the Game of the Weekend Jazz Nuggets. Get to her in just a moment. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Do me a favor. Help other people find the podcast. You know what to do. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher is where you go. You'll be able to find the show. Two games over the weekend, and both, for my money, in the positive direction. The Spurs first. I see you, people. I see you all of the executives that are talking to Adrian Wojnarowski saying that the Jazz shouldn't have rested their players, four starters out of that game. You're telling everybody. We saw it in the report on the TNT game on Saturday how teams are mad at the Jazz for resting players. Well, let me tell you this. Jazz came in having an X on their name. This entire seeding experience, it was all about finding a rotation, getting to a rhythm. Stan Van Gundy said it in the very first tip-off. Some coaches are going to use this to discover who's going to be reliable come postseason time. And that's exactly what Quinn Snyder did. Coach Q doing what he told you. Didn't have Boyan Bogdanovich. They need to find guys to supplant and provide that production. So Friday was one of those games where you see if any of the young guys have it for you. Don't blame the Jazz for not winning enough games in the restart and not winning enough games during the regular season. Just go out and win your games. Don't blame the Jazz. They have no responsibility for you. You worry about you. Utah worries about the city of Utah. As far as the young guys that played, bright spots for all of them. Justin Wright Foreman came in during the latter parts of the game Went with reckless abandon. I love his he's going to be a number one option type of guy coming off the bench. You need a gunner type. You like his ability to play make and go at guys one-on-one. He's a driver. He's an attacker. He looked good in the scrimmages when he got an opportunity to play. Now in seeding game time, he got a chance. Jarrell Brantley, endlessly intriguing. He had good moments of defense on DeMar DeRozan. Finished with eight points, hit two threes. He expands that game to the three-point line. He could be a contributor for a while. Rajon Tucker, so solid decision-making. Always wants to get into the flow of a game, get others involved. He might feature in the playoffs. It's because he's dependable, doesn't play out of control, even though he can be out of control when he jumps into the air. He's such a high flyer. But even that... Because he's such an explosive dunker, keeps it within the bounds of what he does. Does need to figure out which arm to put that shooting sleeve on. Mieoni, he had the standout game of all the guys. Started in the first five, 
14 points on the night, two threes, played the next game against the Nuggets, 6-4, the right body type for a 3-and-D wing. He shoots reliably. He can be a Matisse Thibel. All the young guys showed a little bit to see why you're bright, why Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay scouted these guys, why Walt Perrin brought them in for workouts, and their development that they had from the beginning of the year, where they weren't getting rotation minutes because they just came out of college. They got a little bit of that experience at the G League Showcase, and that development got them to the point where they're rearing for end-of-the-bench rotation depth spots. The other thing from the San Antonio game, Joe Ingles pulling up from three. If he's playing with that confidence, the guy who hasn't sat for a game since December 2015, over 360-plus games, a confident Joe, a bleep-talking Joe, do you want to get in the way of that? Getting the confidence to hit a pull-up three in the second quarter against San Antonio. He's not even doing it to impress Patty Mills, who was on the other side. As far as the Nuggets game, one that everybody is talking about, the best game of the weekend. Donovan, I keep the thermostat at 60 degrees. Mitchell was so cold when it came to the end of the game. The difficult shots that he made in the fourth and the overtimes, astounding. Even the second overtime, when Rudy's down, he's making a shot right up against the guys in the corner. He's a difficult shot maker, and that's why it's so good when this team plays in the clutch. This is what we were mentioning against the Pelicans game. Utah has a defensive stalwart in Rudy Gobert, and then the offensive guy in Donovan. This is why I see you, Kevin Harlan, just the way that I put the teams on blast for chiding the Jazz for resting their starters. Kevin Harlan, you're not immune either. Did Rudy have the best offensive game down the stretch, 0-5? No. But he dominated on both ends the previous three quarters, and much like the other overtime game that the Jazz played this year, things didn't go well when he fouled out. This happened against the Pelicans in January, and Utah couldn't sustain in the overtime period and eventually lost to Brandon Ingram. Happened the same, this time it was Jamal Murray. And this provides why this might be a tough matchup come playoff time. ESPN's George Sedano joined us on the last podcast and explained who he wanted the Jazz to see. Didn't identify the Nuggets as his most favorable matchup. And this might be why. Torrey Craig can bottle up Donovan for moments. And when Donovan wasn't going against Craig, you could tell he felt more comfortable on offense. He was more facilitating once Craig was locked in on him. The passing foisted on him because of how well Craig guards him. And Craig has done it in the, all the previous meetings that these two teams have played. They have somebody who can match up well with Donovan, and it puts the other guys on notice to step up. It would be an intriguing seven-game series. Don't, don't you dare get it twisted. Jokic against Gobert, that big man matchup, if Rudy can get the positive outcome on that, okay. And Jamal Murray, he left everything out on the floor. Emptied the tank in his first game back in the bubble. Super impressive, his shot-making ability. He, he stepped up in that second overtime when Rudy was out. Gave everybody more room to work and operate with Rudy not there. And that's through no fault of the owner of the Jazz. You lose a defensive player of the year late. Yeah, it's going to look different. And when you see him so dependable... It's concerning when he's not on the floor. 
Rudy had 22 and 13 with a block. The biggest play of the game, Royce on the Joker, came with Rudy out. There's not an avenue to the rim if Rudy's in there. Will this be a potential playoff matchup? I'd love to see it. Have you listened to Ingles' Insight? Picked two options, and I actually picked Ally for both my options. I was like, that's what I want. So I'm just going awesome. for both. But yeah, just that I put thought into it and hadn't just kind of picked anything um, just to pick something. Well, good. That makes me really pleased that you are proud of that, and you should be. And I just think from a supporter's perspective and a fan's perspective of me sitting here watching from afar, it's re- it's even in the commentary of the games, it's opened up some really, really important talking points. Find it wherever podcasts are played, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Let's get to the sideline reporter of the game of the weekend. Stephanie Reddy of TNT joins us on Round Ball Roundup. She has an interesting story. Started out as a player at Coppin State, ended up being an assistant coach on the men's basketball team, followed that journey to the D-League, and now she's a sideline reporter for the biggest games on Turner. We caught up, and she started out on telling us her journey into the game and why she chose basketball. It's always been a part of our family. You know, I grew up with this game. My dad and my older brother played all the time. So family picnics, you know, going to the park, they always played. And I was always too little to play. Um, Literally grown men and I'm about, you know, five years old on the side, hoping a ball bounces my way. Um, so it's just been a part of my life. It always has been. And I was lucky enough to have a family that supported all of our kids. You know, I had an older brother and a younger sister and we all played sports growing up and it's just been there. And I always joke and say like at least half joke that basketball was my first true love. I fell in love with the game from a very, very early age. I was obsessed with it. I was the kid that had all of the magazine subscriptions Um, you know, not just Sports Illustrated, but I would be at the grocery store or the newsstand to get the Street and Smith and all of those basketball magazines that came out right before, um, you know, the fall season would start. And I would read them from cover to cover. You know, I'm an East Coast kid, but I was the kid that in high school was up late watching all the West Coast games every night, even if it was a school night, sneaking, hoping my parents didn't wake up. You know, that was me. Um, So that's how I got involved in the game. And I was just fortunate enough to, after college, get offered a position to coach with Fang Mitchell at Coppin State on the men's team. And it just continued from there. You know, I I never thought when I was young that I would be able to turn basketball into a career because even the WNBA did not exist when I was a kid. So even the thought of continuing to play was not even in my purview at that moment, you know? Um, so this has literally been a dream come true. I have my dream job and I know that sounds so kitschy, but it is the truth. And I'm so thankful every day. Was there a team or a a, a player that you gravitated toward early on that, that brought those great memories out of you? 
Well, we were Georgetown Hoya fans. Um, I Uh-oh. grew up in the D.C. area. I'm a Syracuse guy. <laughs> oh, no! Yeah. Come on, we were doing so well! I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to tell you, I, in full honesty, I had to tell you that I was a Syracuse guy. Oh, you just ruined it. You just <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> Stephanie Reddy of uh, TNT, thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> But uh, no, we, we grew up with, I grew up anyway, as a Hoya fan, um, partly because I, I was, you know, in the DC area, but partly because at that time, there were not a lot of African American head coaches in division one basketball in prominent programs. Um, and that was something that for us was, we were in awe of John Thompson, and what he did with that program. And, and the thing that my family loved about it was not just that they were really good basketball players, but that Georgetown University is a very, very highly respected academic institution. So it wasn't just that these guys came to put the ball in the basket. It was they were there to get an excellent education and then also excel in basketball. So um, I think that was probably who we hung our hats on early on in terms of, you know, drawing me in and making me feel engaged and attached to the game. And then obviously, you know, you develop your favorite players as you get older and and you start to follow guys. And and in the league, obviously, Michael Jordan is that one that everyone loved and adored and and, and worshipped <laughs> from afar. Um, but, you know, I loved players like Scottie Pippen, too, because I could identify with him more because I was never the superstar on my team, even though, of course, you know, that sounds silly saying Scottie Pippen's not a superstar, but he came in as an unknown player. He was really um, athletic and defensive minded and, and he evolved into that superstar. And so that was how I kind of envisioned my path to be. Um, so I was always drawn to the players that were facilitators, defenders. I loved Anthony Hardaway in his heyday, um, players like that. How did you make that transition from playing and then coaching? It was um, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Um, I was fortunate, like I said, Fang Mitchell, who was the athletic director at the time at Coppin State and also the head men's basketball coach, he and I and and his whole staff really had a great relationship from when I played on the women's team because. In the MEAC conference, the men and the women's team essentially traveled together for conference play because we played double headers. So the women would play first at 530 and the men at 730. So you got really good relationships between the men and the women's team. So I I knew that staff very well. Um, So when I started coaching with them, it was it was easy in terms of our personalities because we already knew each other so well. Um, And it was surprisingly easy for me to turn into a coach because, and I guess Fang must have seen this out of me early and I just didn't realize it was there. I always looked at the game that way. So um, that surprised me because I had, I had loved it so much. I never really realized how much I analyzed the game as it was going on. So it, it was a lot easier transition than I expected, but it was really fun because you get to, you get to look at the game, analyze it, put a strategy in place, and then watch it come to life in front of you. So there's nothing more satisfying than that. Were you, as a coach, looking for those Scotty Pippen type of players? Was was that your your specialty, the defensive side of the game? Absolutely, yes. 
Absolutely. Um, I was always the defensive stopper on no matter what team I was on, even if I was playing AAU on a star studded team and was coming off the bench, I was always the defensive stopper. Um, and I'll tell you what, it actually helped my mindset coaching on the offensive end, because you know, as a defender, what sorts of things you're looking to exploit. And so you can try to counter that when you're trying to create an offensive look. But certainly with players, I always looked for an athletic player that was defensive minded because those kind of things are harder to turn on in a player. You know, like if you have tremendous offensive capabilities, but you've never been required to play defense, it is really hard to flip that switch. Um, but if you are defensive minded and you also have offensive ability, then you can figure out what to do with that player and stick them into multiple positions most times. After college, you had an opportunity in the G League when it was under a different letter, the D League. <laughs> uh, yep. What have you seen it just in the growth of the game from, from just college to the D League to where we are now with the way that the NBA is going and, and where basketball is going in general? It's been amazing. Um, just the rule changes and how the game has evolved into this, what people like to say is positionless basketball, where the four is bringing the ball up and not just to break a press, but to initiate the offense, you know, like that is a drastic change from what basketball looked like 20 years ago. Um, I remember actually being at Coppin State as a player and from time to time we would have you know, random NBA teams show up on our campus for practice. You know, that happens sometimes when they're looking for a gym on an off day and they can't get into a regular facility. And of course I would be there, you know, front and center trying to watch practice. And I remember at that time thinking how different it was just from college to the NBA in terms of size and just speed and, and the way that they move and, and their abilities. Um, and now even looking at those NBA players and the current NBA players, how different they are, because you have people like LeBron James, who is like the size of a traditional power forward from the eighties. <laughs> and, and he is essentially a point guard right now, leading the league in assists. You know what I mean? Like that juxtaposition is just so amazing to witness. Um, and I think that's what makes our game so engaging is that you have players like LeBron James, but then you have players like Dame Lillard, you know, who I can look eye to eye, but he's out there getting 50 points a game, you know, like it's, it's just, it's staggering to me. So it's, it's been amazing to watch the evolution. And I'm glad you brought up the D league because I'm going to take this time to let you know, in case you didn't know that I worked in the D league with someone who you work with now and Mike Elliott. Ah, with the Utah Jazz. Cowboy. Yes. So we go way, way back, Mike Elliott and I. Give us some dirt. What was the experience like with Mike Elliott? Uh, first of all, Mike is the salt of the earth, as you know. Um, and there is no dirt. And, <laughs> and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Fair enough. The D League, though, I mean, it, it's produced so many great coaches. Nick Nurse. Yeah. I mean, we see it with Quinn Snyder. Um, was there a moment uh, that even even in the D-League, it, it seems so far away, the NBA, was there a quintessential D-League story that, that you have that you can tell? Oh, my gosh. 
I have so many. <laughs> um, so many. Actually, it's funny because last night um, when I, I worked the Philadelphia-Portland game for NBA TV and I interviewed Damian Lillard post-game and he actually made a comment about every time I show up, he gets 50 points. And so one of the players that I used to coach in the D-League texted me after the game and he said, I see you're still a good luck charm because he remembers when I coached, I used, I had this red pantsuit that I used to wear on big games and it was like my good luck pantsuit. And when the players would see it, they would get fired up like, "Uh oh, it's on now. Coach is rocking the red suit. We're about to kick something, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and so that I thought was so funny that he remembered that, you know, all these years later, but you develop relationships. I think that's the most important part about team sports. You know, of course it's about winning, but it's about relationships. You know, you develop friendships with these people that last a lifetime if you're lucky and um, winning or losing, it doesn't change that. What were you wearing on Saturday? Because that was an insane game that occurred between the Jazz <laughs> and Nuggets. That was unbelievable. I was so lucky to have that game. Um, and it was funny, too, because, you know, you have to do that post-game walk-off, and it's with the winner. Yeah. Well, obviously, we had no idea who the winner was going to be. So I'm texting with both sides furiously you know, trying to arrange who I'm going to get and it's changing and it's, you know, now I want whoever hits the game winner, whoever that person is, you know, it's just insane in the moment. Um, but that was good basketball. There were so many storylines in that game. Um, you know, obviously these two teams both think that they're contending, right? They're like, okay, we're here in the West. We're one of the better teams. As soon as we get our acts together, we are going to be ready to try and make this run into the playoffs. Well, now this week and next week or last week are the opportunities that they're trying to fine tune their machines. You know, Denver got Jamal Murray back that night. He had not played. He told me after the game, he had not played five on five except for one time prior to that game. Wow. You could see the fatigue setting in, right? Because it's double overtime. People haven't been playing their regular minutes. It was just so exciting. That game was something else. And I, I'm looking very much forward to the playoffs because I have had that playoff feeling during a lot of these seeding games. What was the atmosphere like in the arena? Because as we're watching, we get the crowd noise that's piped in, and I'm sure it's a little heightened for the viewing audience rather mm -hmm. than who's watching. It looks so competitive. Everybody, as you said, was dripping sweat. Everybody was tired. What was that atmosphere as Donovan scores five in seven seconds? <laughs> you have uh, the Joker coming back the other way, tying the oh. game up, sending it to overtime. What was that atmosphere? It was amazing. And I'll tell you what, we I personally, I didn't miss the crowd noise at all. And, and that's selfishly, too, because I, I need to be able to hear people talking to me in my ear. Definitely. But... but <laughs> It was like the intensity level was so high. And of course, there's not hundreds of people in the arena, but there are people there. You know, there's media members, there's NBA staff members, there's, um, you know, production team members. We're all in the arena and everybody's eyes are like popping out of their heads and you're hearing gasps and we're all looking at each other with these looks like, did that just happen? You know, because you just can't believe that just happened. Donovan Mitchell, we all knew that he was a really good player. But that performance was extremely impressive. 
I mean, the out of bounds play where he hits basically a turnaround jump shot for three with a hand in his face. Who does that? Like, and, and no sweat. I'm going to do that same thing again. Or, and I'm going to break down the entire defense and get a layup in this moment of a game winning situation. You know, like he impressed me so much. I was, I, it was thrilling to witness the back and forth because that's what makes it feel like a playoff game because it is attack mode every single possession. And you know that this one bucket could be the end and you could win the game and they cared, you know, it wasn't a regular season game where, eh, you know, you win some, you lose some. It looked like everything was on the line that night. Well, Donovan, even in that second overtime hit one right up against the bench of the jazz's side. That was insane out of bounds just to keep, keep the jazz coming back. What have you made of his first three years in the league? He has been um, overly impressive. You know, his first year, we all knew, great, you know, good athlete, good guy, seems like he's a hard worker. He probably has a promising career. You know, that's what you say after the first year. Um, And then you see that explosion happen, and you're not quite sure if it's a fluke, but then it just keeps happening, you know, (laughs) as the season's going on. And you're like, okay, this is pretty consistent. Um, and then you see how he is unselfish. You know, he's a, he's a willing passer. He's not just an able passer. Because I think those are two very different things, right? Some people just are not good passers. Some people are terrific passers, but maybe they don't want to do it very often. It's only out of necessity when they cannot get a shot off. And then you have a willing passer who is someone who understands the best way to play the game and they want to get the best shot for their team, not necessarily just the best shot for themselves. And that's when you start to enter into a different level of stardom. And that's what you guys have with Donovan Mitchell. When I hear so much about Donovan's decision-making, Donovan's decision-making, he came on basketball late. He isn't as much of a lifer. He, his dad was in baseball. He lo- that was his first right. love. He, he loved right. baseball before he got into basketball. An injury forced him into the sport. His decision making, it's it's just at an undergrad level right now, and as the seasons go by, that's when he'll he'll get his doctorate. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a really good point um, and scary proposition for the opponents, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, because you you do have to factor that in. He is still growing in that capacity, um, and that's quite frightful. Um, but great for us, you know, if you're a fan of this game and, and you want to see it played the right way, then that's really exciting news. Um, I don't even know how it's possible to do what he's done, honestly. You know, like you hear about late bloomers and people who started the game late, but to hear his story and how it was almost happenstance, you know what I mean? Like how yeah. he ended up with his focus being on this sport of all the sports it's very interesting to me. And I think it says a lot about the type of person that he is and his mental approach to the things that he does, because you have to be fully committed if you're going to develop at that high of a rate. Um, And you have to be open-minded also and coachable, you know? And I think that that's a a trap that a lot of young players fall into where they've been told how good they are for a lot of years that they now are not open to, hearing how they can get even better. And I don't think you guys are going to have that problem with him. The other big star for the Jazz, Rudy Gobert, he went up against the Nuggets perennial. He'll be an MVP candidate in Nikola Jokic. 
what did you make of that of that battle between those two bigs? Almost a, a harken back to a different time in the NBA when it, <laughs> when it's about the bigs. That's so true, and that's what we were thinking too. That first quarter, we were like, "Wow, like we actually have some big bodies that could kind of be going at it." I mean, they're both you know they're not the beef brothers by any means, um, but you know when you're in the paint and you're that close to the rim, there's going to be some battling going on. So we were actually looking forward to seeing that. Um, and I thought it was interesting, too, that Jokic really got off to a slow start in that first quarter. And, and I was very interested to know if it was because of Gobert's presence, you know, because of the block shot and the changed shots and the physicality close to the rim, did that impact Jokic's ability to see everything, you know, because he, again, is a willing passer. But a lot of that is predicated on his ability to get his own shot at any time. And that opens up things for other people. So I thought that was very interesting to watch. Gobert is, is impressive because he's committed fully to the defensive side of the basketball. And that ends up getting him some good offensive looks because, you know, I consider rebounding defense, whether you're on offense or defense, getting the rebound is defensive minded to me. And they need him with how small they have to go without Boyan Bogdanovich. They need yeah. him to, to grab those rebounds for sure. Michael Porter Jr. has been a revelation for the Nuggets. Uh, what has turned on for him, for Mike Malone, to, to have so much confidence in, in that young man? I think that's the word, confidence. You know, I think, you know, we lose sight of these athletes because we, we kind of see them as almost superhuman because of what their abilities are. They have these superhuman athletic capabilities. Um, but the reality is they are human. And so just like the rest of us in our day-to-day jobs, your confidence can, can wane sometimes, right? And that will then in turn affect your ability to do your job to the best of your ability. So I think reps and confidence factor into the level that you achieve, the success level you achieve. And that's across all industries. So the same is true in basketball. I think that his ability to get more reps And in doing that, when he sees the ball go through the hoop more and more, just, you know, just his own workouts, not necessarily in a game, but just in the gym, when you're getting shots up and you're working on on your game, that inherently gives you more confidence because you've done this so many times. The repetition breeds the confidence. And I think that's what we're seeing the result of. I think his hard work is paying off and then it becomes cyclical because he's been able to produce. Now his teammates are seeing that he has the ability to do X, Y, and Z. So they in turn have more confidence in him and the coaching staff as well. So I think it just all goes hand in hand. It's, it's a good thing to see though. Would you sign up for seven games of Jazz Nuggets? What in a heartbeat? <laughs> it's an amazing game. And uh, we look forward to the playoffs with the Jazz included coming up uh, soon as these seeding games wrap up. She's a sideline reporter for TNT, Stephanie Reddy. Thank you so much for joining Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. My pleasure. Thanks.